Hey, let's focus on the ficus today. Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie here on News Radio WINA. This show is sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping. I am Leslie Harris, and I love the smell of compost in the morning, or at any other time for that matter. Our plant of the week is, like last week's plant of the week, sitting right outside my door. Julie Hart of Launceston, Tasmania, is going to be here to talk to us about, well, about gardening, which is sort of the point of a gardening podcast. And lastly, our playlist will include how to play in your garden this week. And I'm going to start my winter pruning series in earnest, concentrating today on the juicy Macrophylla hydrangea. I'm still down in Florida, and I'm still loving it. Could it be that half of the fun is looking at the temperatures of where you would otherwise be? What am I enjoying more, the glow of the Florida sunshine or the glow of smugness? Hmm. Hmm. My pal Abby of Abigail Gardens, which is what my little business of LH Gardens became after I turned it over to her, put the coolest reel on Instagram this week, and it showed what they do, her crew, and what I used to do, and what I will do in February and March in my own little patch this year. Um, So, you know, what you do in the winter garden. And of course, it was all set to upbeat music and with those adorable young girls making it look so fun. I loved looking at it. And it made me want to begin in a few short weeks, but not quite yet, because they just did get another few inches of snow up there. So what are those winter activities in the garden? Pruning, mostly. And that's what we're going to discuss later on in today's show and for the next few shows. But also beating the snow off of the evergreens, and I'm okay to skip that, mulching, which is really great, ideal to stay warm in the garden in winter, and snipping hellebore foliage. So hellebores, hellebores, what do you do with yours? It seems counterintuitive to remove perfectly good foliage or even slightly tatty foliage if the alternative is bare mulch. As a professional gardener, having been hired for the dual goal of good horticulture and a very tidy look in my client's gardens, of course I would take it all away. In my own garden, I ponder, I vacillate, and then ultimately, I take it all away. Just like the hydrangea pruning that I'll be talking about here over the next several weeks, the plants don't need my pruning intervention. The goal is my pleasure. The act is pleasant and easy, plus I love adding to my compost pile. And then when it's time for the hellebores to begin their show, it's all new, lovely foliage and flowers. No competition from last year's bits. They had their chance. Off with their heads. Off with the old and in with the new. So that's what I do, just FYI. It's another example of self-determination in the garden, which is one of the reasons I like gardening so much. I get to do what I want to do. The plant of the week is the ficus. The one that I'm thinking of is used as a hedge in this golf community where we are ensconced, and it's one of those plants that I don't know much about, so I thought I would amend my level of ignorance and share my findings with you. And the first thing that I found out is that it turns out that the ficus is not only a genus of about 850 species of woody trees, shrubs, vines, epiphytes, which are, you know, air plants, and hemiepiphytes, which is an epiphyte or an air plant that has eventually become ambitious enough to send roots into the ground, Um, but it's also a type of sea snail found near Singapore. We're not going to dwell on that type of ficus. We're going to go back to the plant. The ficus is the botanical name for the fruiting fig, of course. Lots of people love to grow figs for that wonderful feeling of picking one while it's still warm from the sun and popping it in your mouth. But it's also a lovely tropical-looking foliage plant that can be a sprawling mess, or it can be pruned to be a work of art. It can even be espaliered. They don't do well in real cold, but there is success with them up to zone 6, particularly with the cold-hardy cultivars such as brown turkey and Chicago hardy. 
which our daughter recently gifted to our son-in-law for their fourth anniversary, which apparently is about fruit and flowers. Well, Chicago Hardy, if we're talking about Chicago, it must be Hardy. I think they're going to do fine in coastal Connecticut. The fruiting figs are native to Western Asia and Southeastern Europe, and they can get 15 to 20 feet tall, and they can grow just as wide. If one were in my garden, it would be subjected to pruning for sure. There are dwarf varieties such as the adorably named Little Miss Figgy. Then there are the houseplant type of ficuses, such as the ficus benjamina or the weeping fig. This is an extremely easy and popular houseplant version of a tree that can get 50 feet tall in real life, that is, life outside in the tropics. I think it's the one that's growing outside of our, of our little cottage that we're in down here, but it's certainly not 50 feet tall, but my goodness, it gets a lot of attention. I had a good relationship with one of those that was owned by my colleague, Michel Berrier, the French teacher back in my Connecticut teaching years. Michel kept a fairly big one in his classroom all year, and then it would come home with me, because we lived right next to school, for summer vacations, and it thrived on my neglect for three months. It was un beau petit ficus. And that is my French accent, and you are pleased to know that I did not teach French, but Spanish. And now how about a fiddle leaf fig? Such a popular, really such a statement houseplant. Our daughter and son-in-law have a lovely specimen that I got a baby off of. They're really easy to propagate just by cutting and rooting. Just keep the baby moist until it roots. I put a lot of photographs of theirs on the blog this week, including a special one of my mother, Murney. She has an unusual name, M-U-R-N-E-Y, and she's holding her great-granddaughter, Myrnie, with the fiddle-leaf fig, which they call the fiddler on the roof, uh, in the background. These are the darlings of Instagram, and they can be wonderful trees in your house or apartment, but they are rather large. My kids had theirs in a tiny apartment in New York, but it's made it out to Connecticut. If you're daunted by a tree, there's one called Bambino that doesn't sound too bad, and it also is a darling on Instagram if you want to look it up. Hey, did you know that the banyan tree is a ficus? That's the ficus religiosa, and it could get to the size of a church for sure, 100 feet tall and 100 feet wide. Those are such beautiful, majestic trees. They're so architectural. There's a lovely little street on Boca Grande Island that I know of with a gorgeous allay of those. So the one outside my back door, pretty sure it's the ficus benjamina, and they're just not very happy. I mean, these landscape guys are so busy, and I'm sure they're told to keep it tidy around here, and they literally blow with their very loud blowers any chance at soil rejuvenation at the base of these things. They blow away any fallen leaf, and then they butcher them really quickly into the shape of what they think is a hedge, leaving all the dead wood, and, and there's just so much growth up at the top because, you know, nobody takes any hand pruners or secateurs and pokes skylights in them and gives them a chance to re-sprout down lower. That's the way landscape crews have to work very quickly, and it's not always best horticultural practices. But you know, the beautiful shiny leaves on these things are poking out, and they really are pretty, and they remind me of the French ficus that I proudly did not kill all of those summers. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. Coming up, we're going to be talking with Nanny New. She is one of my favorite gardening pals on Instagram. Her real name is Julie Hart, and she is from Tassie, down under. Oh, and a note about the audio. It's not quite as good as usual. I think there was a slight delay because she was awfully far away, you know, halfway around the world. And so we interrupt each other a little bit. Um, but boy, I had so much fun talking to her. And it's it's real life. It's a real life conversation. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And we're talking with Julie Hart. And Julie lives in a place that I went to once a long time ago, actually 21 years ago, Launceston, Tasmania. And I was there with my 
12 and 14 year old children at the time and Jeff and my mother and father flew over to meet us. We were living in Australia for the year. We lived in Adelaide and my mother and father flew over to meet us in Launceston. I have very good memories of that place. And why am I speaking with Julie Hart? Because she and I have been friends on Instagram for uh, a couple of years, Julie, do you think? Yes, at least. Yeah. And I just love the way she posts on Instagram. She's Nanny's Diary, by the way. And I love the way she gardens. I love the way she's into gardening. And she even occasionally writes poetry. But let's start with the gardening. Well, let's start with how are you, Julie? I'm very well. Thank you, Leslie. This is great fun. Oh, good. Well, good. You're very kind to get up early in the morning and it's kind of getting late in the evening for me. Um, Tell me about how you started to get into gardening and how long ago was that? Uh, That would have been, oh, over 30 years ago. Um, I started in my 40s and I think, and I hope you don't think I'm sexist saying this, but I think a lot of women often start gardening in their 40s because their kids are getting off their hands and they're ready for something new. Um, How I started was I was going through um, one of those patches where you think, oh, what's it all about? Why am I here? Where am I going? And because I'm a Christian, I said to God, what am I supposed to do now? And he said, go outside. So I went outside and I don't think I've come back in since. So that's that's the how and the when. I have so many friends who started gardening as small children and I paid no attention to it as, as a small child. I started when, oh, I started when I was at home suddenly and not working. And that one baby that I had at the time was a good napper. And that's when I started. But in your 40s, so so 30 years ago, probably you weren't going on to the internet how did you learn to do what you obviously <laughs> definitely no internet <laughs> no, none of that how did you learn did you read up yes I, I did I fell in love with gardening so I set myself to read as much as I could I, I used to buy every gardening magazine ever written I think a lot of old gardening books I've got a great gardening book library that goes back I don't know centuries <laughs> but it's amazing what you can find in the old books that they you think they're probably old-fashioned and out of date, but really they're, the basics don't change. And the, and what they were doing back in, in 1906, they're still doing pretty much today. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of old books, a lot of um, gardening books, a lot of magazines, and also I did a couple of um, adult ed courses on gardening, you know, on perennials and roses and all that sort of stuff. But basically I'm a, I'm just a potterer. Uh, that's what I was until I until I wasn't but pottering I think is the best it's funny I I feel like um, having lived in Australia I got to say pottering but here in the United States we we would more regularly say puttering I don't think there's a big difference I didn't actually know you'd been to Australia so that's interesting for me yeah yeah my uh, my husband and I just packed up and left we had actually lived there before it had to do with lacrosse in Adelaide Um, it sounded very adventurous You're, you're moving to Adelaide well, yes, because we lots of friends in Adelaide, so it wasn't so adventurous, but it was a fantastic year for the kids to break off and do something completely different. And we traveled as much as possible. So, yeah, um, so it was lovely. So, um, all right. So what's your, I, when I see your garden on Instagram, I see many, I, you have similar tastes to me. I see like fresh green and roses and blue pots and that sort of thing. How has your style evolved over the years? Well, when I first started, I went outside, as I was told, and I dug holes and I stuck things in the holes and lo and behold, they actually grew and so that was interesting. Uh, and then I thought to myself, I, it went on for a little while and I was just doing that. I was scattering seeds and doing, you know, doing the things that you do as gardeners and seeing these things happen and I thought to myself, I'd really like to have a go at a bigger garden. So interestingly enough, within probably two years, we moved to a a five-acre block 
and there was an acre garden around that house. And if you ask me which is, you know, ever is my favourite garden, that would be it. I I love that garden because I learned to garden there. The more I did, the more I loved it. And so uh, I went from just trying little bits and pieces and annuals and things like that. And I got involved with perennials. I loved those. And then I loved roses. I fell in love with roses. And uh, and it's the time of the roses at the moment here. So I, it's it's a beautiful time. So, yes, my style has evolved, I suppose, but it also hasn't, if you know what I mean. I still like the same things I liked at the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, big is, how big is the garden? So that one that you said was your favourite, is that where you're gardening now or have you all? No, no. No, we left that. Yeah, we had to leave that. Um, you get to the stage where you can't look after five acres. So sure, yeah. uh, we, we came into town, which was, was nice. And I knew I couldn't go too small. So we found a house with a double block. This is bigger than the, the normal block of land. It looks very spacious. You know, it looks it looks like you can wander from room to room a little bit, but not too, too big. Is that what I'm seeing? Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. You can. You can, you, you can wander. It's a great garden for wandering. Uh, and it's also one of those gardens where you can lie in bed of a morning and you think to yourself, okay, this morning I will do the box hedge over there or I'll do the um, the, gar- the flowers up the top or I'll pull weeds out in that corner, you know. you can So you can do it a corner at a time. Yeah, that's which I, I think is a good thing to do. Yeah, you don't want to do it all at once and then all the fun would be over. No good, no good. <laughs> <laughs> this is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And we're talking with the very charming Julie Hart, who I know as Nanny New, because that was one of her older Instagram accounts. Um, she is a grandmother to many. How have you passed on some of your gardening legacy to your grandkids or to your kids? I haven't. <laughs> oh, no. I oh, it's no, not too late. Really. You must brainwash them. <laughs> well, actually, that's, that's, maybe that's not quite true. Uh, there, there are gentle little signs with pots and things like that. And, uh, yeah, there may be little signs there. Probably I won't see it, actually. <laughs> because they might grow up and decide later that that was a good exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, you, I, you don't know what they're taking in anyway, do you? No, no, you really don't. I mean, I am impressed with my little, I mean, my oldest isn't even four yet. And and she'll she'll get in there. Look, let's look for bugs. Let's, you know, she knew how to take the um, soil away from a from a pot that we bought. She was like, oh, you have to mess up the the roots. I'm like, how did you know that? And and her father <laughs> taught her. And I don't think of her father, my son, as being a gardener. So I bet some of it's coming through. Yeah, that's lovely. That's yeah. really nice. What about the garden <laughs> community then? So you you read a lot of books. You took um, we have garden clubs here. We also have some a program called the Master Gardeners. Um, I think it's national and they they actually have to study really hard. It's kind of serious. Um, but do you have did you make friends gardening as you as you came to it? Oh, I have made friends gardening, definitely. Yes. Um, I haven't joined a gardening club because up until about 18 months ago, I had I was looking after my mum basically. Um, you know, for she was 95 when she passed away. Oh my! Uh, good innings. And yeah, she she had a good inning. She wasn't a gardener, but she had. Well, I reckon she must have had fifty pots in the house when she died. So we <laughs> had to take care of all of them. She was an amazing person inside. She'd grow pansies inside. I mean, you don't grow pansies inside, inside now. No, you don't do that. But yeah, she but okay. put them in it. She'd grow, and they'd they'd grow. So uh, yeah. So anyway, I was looking after her and or responsible for her in a way uh, for that for quite a few years before that. So when that when she went, when she passed over, I didn't want to tie myself down for quite a while. So I, I haven't as yet joined Art Gardening Club, but I should. I should really. Honestly, yeah. And that way you could, you know, maybe meet 
you know, younger people or, you know, new yeah, people, so- if you're interested in that sort of thing. We're having here, and, and it's really coming from Pete Old Udolf, whose name I have trouble pronouncing, you know, the naturalistic yes. move, movement. So unlike what you yep. and I sort of learned to do, which was basically European or e- English, where it's a little bit formal, the roses, the trellises, the albums, yep. that sort of thing. Now we've got this mm. meadow thing going on here in the United States, which I find beautiful, although I love the other stuff too. Do you, are you yeah. seeing that in Tasmania or in Australia? Uh, yes. Yeah, we are because of our climate. Of course, it's warming up and, and it's it's getting harder to grow the the English type gardens. Um, but they that will always be my first love. Yeah. Uh, and the other, I... I admire it, but I don't want it, if you know what I mean. I agree. So, you want to look, but you don't want to have it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, how, many roses, um, how many roses do you do you have in your garden, more or less? That's a tricky one. They'd have to be about, it's probably only about 15 or 20. I haven't got a huge, because I haven't got a huge amount of land. I, I, every time I see a nice rose, I think, well, where can I put it? Where can I put it? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> don't, don't That's know. what gardeners have to think about. And what's it's your strategy on pruning? Do you all, is, is it sort of here... Um, as a professional gardener, we had to prune in winter. As a personal gardener, I think I'll go more toward really early spring. Um, when do you prune? When it needs it. How's that for good? <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, no, a lot of it's done in winter, of course, you know, the big stuff. And the um, I'll snip anything back at any stage of the game. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. In fact, I bought myself a little um, a little mini chainsaw you can use with one hand. It's one of the, uh, the steel ones. I'm not allowed to say that. But anyway, it's so lightweight. Yeah. which I need now because, you know, I'm in my 70s. So, uh, And it's marvellous. It cuts off limbs and does all sorts of swoopy things. It's wonderful. One of my clients before I sold the company brought <laughs> one out to my crew and they came home and they said, oh, Diane showed us this um, one-handed chainsaw and she wants us to use it. And I'm like, don't touch it. My workman's compensation does not cover something like that. But it would, as a personal gardener, it would be so tempting. I mean, is it fun to operate? Uh, yes, yes. You'd have a ball. They've also got the one-handed hedge trimmer. It's good, but it's not as good. Um, okay. It's not as good as ordinary clippers in a way. So, but it's not bad. It gets through a lot of it. And I've got a lot of box hedges. Yeah, yeah. So, and you keep them pretty tight. You like that formal style. Well, yes and no. I like the formal style, but I'm inclined to let it go wild in the spring. So my paths up in the top garden are now full of aquilegias and whatever else has popped up there. And I let that go. And then all of a sudden I'll swoop in and clean it all out and we'll start again. There you go. Yeah, yeah. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And we're talking with Julie Hart from Launceston, Tasmania. And um, I'm having her describe her garden a little bit. Let's talk about your favorite flowers. What are you loving in the garden? Roses are happening right now. Is that is that one of your tip-top favorites or just right now? Yeah, well, that's it. I am a seasonal, I'm fickle. Because I'm a seasonal liker, a lover. <laughs> um, I, in, you know, if you ask me in the spring, I'll, I'll talk about the bulbs and say how beautiful they are and all the rest of it. And then it moves on and I fall in love with the wisteria and that's definitely my favourite. Now that's gone and the blossoms have gone. I'm back to roses and I'm happy with that. They're, they're my favourite too. But, uh, I love perennials. I love them because they're easy. They come up and they do their thing and then they go again. <laughs> so I am, I'm very fickle. Do you generally buy annuals to augment perennial beds or do you do seeds? Or Well, I have done seeds. I don't do a lot of seeds. I Yeah, I do buy annuals. Mostly I put them in pots because um, if I put them in the garden, they tend to get lost anyway under the bigger plants and stuff like that. So I, I do pop them in my pots quite often. 
I think you were going to ask at one stage about pots. So you probably did, and I ignored the question. But uh, <laughs> I have too many pots. <laughs> oh, but they're beautiful on Instagram. They're beautiful anyway. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they photograph very nicely. Yeah. <laughs> this this will give you an example. When we left our other our, the garden of my heart, the last one that we had, we we got in them. You know, the removalist to pack us up and take us away, and all the rest of it. I had to get a, a truck. To take the pots and the garden paraphernalia, I had to. I had to get another truck. A whole I mean, other truck. Yeah, well, not not as I don't mean a huge, not a big, enormous one, but it had to be a truck. I think. I think that's a triumph. I do. I think. I think you're winning. Oh, you do. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think you should be absolutely proud of that. <laughs> oh well, there you go. I'll go from weird to wonderful in one second. <laughs> Um, Julie, when you potter or putter around the garden, what, what do you carry with you? What are your favorite tools? I mean, besides Uh, the ones we just talked about, do you have like go-to low tech? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a very low tech person (laughs) in every, just in every way. Um, yeah, I have a little, uh, tomahawk thing with a fork on one side and and a blade thing on the other thing. And I carry that with me sometimes. Um, always my secretaires, of course, they're always with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually I think you can look after a garden if you've got the right tools and I don't and I think age as you get older you've really got to get the right tools or you may as well sit down and chair and give up because you can't do it mm. so I make sure I, I have got good good tools you know I've got the long reachy things and clippers and everything you can think oh my god do you have any help in the garden if I've got something big obviously a tree or something like that I don't try and tackle anything like that Yes, and I have had I have had a bit of help last. I think it was last year. It might have been the year before. I got a guy in to do the hedges because at that stage I was spending a lot of time with Mum, and I thought I'm just I can't do this. So he came in and did the hedges. He did them really nicely, but he didn't. Um, he wanted the perfect hedge, and I wanted the flower to grow through the hedge while it was growing. <laughs> ah. so <laughs> he did, he he came a few times, and I really appreciated his help. But the final straw was he came along and he said, do you mind if I cut a branch off that silver birch? I'm just looking at it here out the window. And I said, uh, and I wasn't up there. And I said, I, he said, I can't get under to get the hedges. And I said, oh, yeah, that's okay. I thought he meant a little branch. But I went up there and there was a main branch gone and he left like six inches of it sticking out of the tree. And I thought, no, thank no, you very much. He doesn't. So, so he's gone. But look. To be uh, realistic about it, if we want to stay here as we get older, I would be quite happy to get some help in the garden. Does your husband help so, out as well? Uh, he does the lawns. Oh, there you go. Mine does too. Yeah, he does the lawns. Um, and, and really, to be perfectly honest, do we want them in the garden? No, no, we Probably do not. You stay on your lawn. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, I, I I did say to him when we moved in because when we moved in the house there was there was nothing here really. They'd had the gardens done, uh, landscaped, but then they'd done nothing to them, and so there were no roses, no bulbs, no violets, no can you know pinks. No, there was nothing that I wanted. Um, I had to start from scratch, and he did start to make little interested noises, and I said, "Look, dear, Uh-oh. you know, yeah." If, if you want a garden, you're going to have to buy the house next door. So you can garden <laughs> it. <laughs> That's awesome. And he's, what's it? What's his passion? Does he, does he play golf or does he have something else that he likes to do? Yeah, yeah, he plays golf. And he still he still works part-time. He loves his work. So um, he still does that for a few days a week, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine's retired, but he loves his golf. And, and they go together well because they disappear for hours and you disappear for hours and everybody's happy. You have something to talk Absolutely. about at dinner. Like, let me just tell you about how I prune these branches back. Or let me tell you about how these, these perennials that I split. I mean, he is fascinated or he's a very good actor. No, he's <laughs> so is mine. Mine's always very kind. <laughs> oh, my goodness. oh my goodness. All right. This is so fun. Um, can you think of anything else that you would like to be asked that I haven't asked yet? Tips? Yes. All right. So what are your favorite tips you've been guarding for a long time? Uh, first, of all, first of all, I love your tips when I when you, you know, the Tuesday tippy thing was that you do with um the puppy dog. I love that. That's good fun. Thank you. Um, yeah, what are my tips? My, um, I did think of three, three actually quite good ones. What were they? They've gone completely out of my head. <laughs> um, one of them comes, well, probably two of them come from an old book, one of my old books. It was called 20 Minutes a Day in God's Garden. And it was about a lady whose husband passed away and she had a big house and a big garden. She wanted to stay there, but she didn't know how she was going to manage the garden. And someone said to her, if you will spend... 20 minutes a day in your garden, you'll keep it under control. You don't have to go into the garden for hours and hours and hours. And I can't do that anymore anyway. But you can go in for a short time and maybe a short time each day. That's how I used to do the other big one. I'd go in for a little bit, a little while. Um, and the other thing is I heard a lady say once, um, oh, what did she say? Don't waste your 10 minutes. Don't waste your 10 minutes because you can do an amazing amount in 10 minutes. You know, you can pull weeds, you can chop something or move something, you can pick up a pot and move it somewhere else. So don't waste your 10 minutes. And the third thing that I have, which is not a, a, a tip tip, but don't compare. Don't compare your garden to somebody else's because yours will always come off second best. And it's probably not second best. It's, it's just different. We're all different and we all love different things. And so those three things are important. And the, the final tip, well, it should have been first really, if you want to make a garden, you've got to get your soil right. You don't get your soil right, you're wasting your time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Do you compost? Yeah, I learned that in the other garden too. That I, and when I got there, it was just clay and no one had done anything. And so I started adding stuff and I added horse poo, sheep poo, cow poo, alpaca poo, whatever I could get hold of. And I still do that because when I came here, I found I, I thought, oh, this is going to be great because they've had it landscaped. But it was all builder's rubble and, and clay, so it was there was nothing there. Uh, so, yeah, pea straw, um, sugar cane mulch, whatever you can get your hands on, just pop it on top and let it go. Let it go. And, so, the, and the little microbes will come up and get it. Yeah, the better the soil, the better the plants. Absolutely. Yeah. Julie, those were such great tips, and I didn't even – I'm so glad that I asked if there was something else because I hadn't even anticipated that. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for joining me from far, far across the world. I appreciate it. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. Very good fun. And we'll see each other on Instagram and I'll put a link to Julie's account on the, on the show notes because she is just a pleasure. And um, yeah. we don't have time to talk about this now, but when you go to follow Julie, you will not only get beautiful photographs and wisdom, you will also get the occasional, I think, spontaneous poem. Are they spontaneous? They are spontaneous. Yeah, I don't even call them poems. They're just little bits and pieces that are, that come and I write. I think it's yeah. poetry. I do. Thank you so <laughs> much. <laughs> this is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And coming up, we'll be talking about what to do in your garden right now. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And now it's time for the playlist, which is weekly practical information on what to do in your garden right now and maybe what to listen to while you're out there playing in your yard. Julie Hart, Nanny New, 
is just one of those positive people that you feel really connected to, even on the strange and sometimes unreal platform of social media. It doesn't, and it probably shouldn't, feel genuine when you're in those spaces like Instagram, but there's no doubt that there is human connection. Remember last week when I was talking with Kelly Lehman and we realized that we both knew this wonderful person? I mean, this is a connection that's really different than a glance or a nod or a smile or a hug, but hey, there wouldn't be any connection at all if it weren't for social media, so it can't be all bad. Questions from listeners. I had a question from a listener about dog dew in the garden. Is it safe? Is it noxious? Is it beneficial? What do you do with Ginny's Productions? Well, the answer to the first question is all three, really. Doggy dirt is very noxious, but it can be rendered safe pretty easily, and it can even be made beneficial, but that takes some work and it takes some know-how. An average-sized dog can produce over 250 pounds of the stuff per year. Oh my gosh, I hate to think of the production of my two Bernese Mountain Grand Dogs. Ooh. Anyway, the EPA says that it doesn't decompose. I just don't know why they're saying that. It makes zero sense to me. I mean, I'm no scientist, but it seems to me that we'd all be swimming in the stuff if it didn't decompose eventually. But it is very bad and very dangerous, and it does decompose slowly. So here's what you need to know. The Environmental Protection Agency classifies dog poop as a pollutant in the same category as oil spills, herbicides, insecticides, and salt from irrigation practices because of the nutrients and pathogens that leach into the soil and water and impact wildlife, plant growth, and human health. The nitrogen and phosphorus in dog waste trigger excessive algae and weed growth, which can choke out aquatic life and make water unsuitable for swimming or even boating. In addition to excessive plant growth, the disease-causing worms, bacteria, and viruses thrive in waste, washing into the water supply and potentially harming you and your family. Ooh, that is very dire. You would never use this stuff on your veggie patch. Apparently, all the parasites that our dogs can get can go right into your parsley and potatoes too. I would never add it to my compost piles, even though that would probably be fine because you know I don't do too much veg and it would probably have decomposed enough so that all the pathogens would be gone but I'm just not gonna take a chance about that. I'm a passive composter, and I don't know that the time and the heat that I provide would be enough to render it harmless, so I would not put it in my compost pile. But the USDA, which is a government agency and a search result that I trust more than some of the amusing sites such as dogster.com, docare, D-O-O, care.com, and petpooskadoo.com. I think all those websites exist because those are the companies that will offer to come and take it away for you, and they want you to know how horrible it is. But I don't trust them quite as much. Oh, and by the way, I mean, I put some time into trying to figure out what they do with what they collect. I couldn't find anything. Anyway, the USDA says that you can compost it and safely, but there are very specific rules to making sure that you've gotten rid of all the objectionable pathogens. I'm going to put a link to it in your show notes. Basically, it has to do with getting that heat high enough so that it kills off that stuff. In a few weeks' time here on the show, we're going to have Amanda Ever Hopeful, who is an amazingly talented and amusing Instagram presence, and her forte is compost, and we're going to talk to her about it on the show. She would probably know what to do with doggy do. We're talking about real science with a long thermometer and just the right amounts of water, nitrogen provided by Fido, but other stuff too, and carbon. And according to the USDA, it will absolutely be cooked down to usable garden compost. Again, unless you really know what you're doing, I do not recommend that you try this. Now, what do we do with Ginny's <clears throat> stuff? 
When we walk her, she definitely will evacuate her bowels, although we far prefer that she goes in our own yard and that we just walk on a walk, but that's another story, and that's a dog training thing. We always take a plastic bag with us, but there are two very good reasons why that plastic bag is not the vehicle to take the poop away. It's actually simply a glove to get her output to the right spot. So what we do is we pick it up and we put it in the middle of a patch of vegetation, usually on our own yard, that is not accessible to humans at all. I mean, I'm going to be all over that yard, but there are places that I just don't go that often. So we're talking about in the middle of a hedge or in the middle of a ground cover. If we're out walking, it would be in the middle of really thick vegetation that no one would ever see that we've put it there and no one would ever be able to walk there because that's a very unpleasant thing to step in. And of course, we would never leave it on a neighbor's property. I don't understand the, the concept of it, not, of it not decomposing. I mean, we've been dealing with our dog's leavings for years, and I've been gardening on that same property for years, and we're talking about not very large suburban plots. I guarantee you it does decompose, and you can put it someplace where it decomposes safely, where it doesn't impact you or your vegetables or the water table or anything else. So you might ask, why don't we just keep Ginny's stuff in that bag and throw that bag away? Well, two reasons for that. First of all, I don't like carrying around a sack of sh stuff while I'm taking a walk. I'm just, I'm, that's, I'm not doing that. So we get rid of what's in the sack into the right place. No one will ever see. And we flip the bag inside out uh, and just put it in our pocket. And then we just dispose of the bag. And here's the second reason why I would never throw away a bag, even a compostable bag of Ginny's <clears throat> leavings. Anything that goes into a landfill and degrades is worse than something that goes into a landfill and doesn't degrade, says Jack Macy, commercial zero waste coordinator for San Francisco's Department of Environment. A bag of poop would start producing methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas. So this was a long answer, but in terms of being good to the earth, putting it in plastic in a landfill, so in a garbage can, is not good. Oh, I looked into putting it in your own toilet if you were going to do that, which I never would bother to do that. But apparently, our sewage treatment plants could probably handle dog waste, but let's not all start and test them because we, we get to go first here. Our sewage treatment is much more important than dogs. Putting it in the sewer or in any body of water is not good. It will pollute very fast, so don't do that. Putting it in your compost pile is really, really good if you are a scientific and certain composter that you know is heating up your stuff to the degree that would kill all those pathogens. Putting it in the middle of vegetation in your yard or woods where no one could see it or step on it is just fine. It will decompose. It takes several weeks, longer than you would think, but put it where it won't hurt or offend anybody while it's going through the process and you won't have done any harm at all. Whew, what a topic. Okay, on to pruning macrophylla hydrangeas, as promised. I'm going to give myself an interview. Are you ready? Question one, do you have to prune macrophylla hydrangeas? No, you never have to. Question two, back it up, back it up. What is a macrophylla or mac hydrangea? Oh, that's the really groovy type, you know, with the ball of blue or pink or sometimes white. They're native to Japan. They're also called the big leaf hydrangea. They generally bloom on old wood. They're basically the type that everybody loves the best. Next question, what is old wood now? Old wood is last year's wood. So the big reason that you don't have to and really shouldn't prune them is that if you are pruning on last year's wood, you are cutting off this year's flowers. Okay, so my next question to myself is, but you prune them. 
Oh, well, funny, you should ask. And yes, indeed, I do prune them. What I do is I have a look at them in deep winter, like now, and I get rid of any obvious dead branches. I also remove branches that are growing along the ground because if those had flowers, I wouldn't enjoy those flowers. And I like to grow other things at the base of my woodland shrubs, such as ferns and hostas and epimediums and forget-me-nots and stuff like that. Next question, anything else for you to look for to prune? Oh yes, you prune the crazies. This is a very scientific horticultural term that indicates a branch that's sticking out all crazy, and I don't like the way it looks, so I prune it. So how can you tell if a branch is dead in the middle of winter? Well, sometimes you can't. If it's obvious, you could just snap it away. I mean, it feels dead. But if it's not clear, wait for spring, the healthy bits are going to leaf out. The dead bits, yeah, not so much. Some mac hydrangeas leaf out at the bottom of the shrub, but if you live in a really cold climate, sometimes the top branches just don't make it through. What then? Okay, my answer to that is, if you don't mind looking at brown sticks emerging from beautiful green leaves, then that's fine. You do you. No, I, I'm sorry. Don't, don't do you. Don't do that. My God, what the heck? That's a terrible look. You cut them away. If you know that they're dead, if they didn't make it through the winter, you take them away. There's no reason to look at brown sticks. I mean, you should do you if they don't bother you, but come on, man, that's a terrible look. Take them away. Next question, I can see a bud coming on a branch. Where should I aim my cut? You should aim your cut about a centimeter above that bud. And the last question is, anything else I should know? The answer to that is just to be clear, the buds that you cut will be this year's flowers. So be judicious. And that is the end of the interview with myself. So what are you going to listen to this week? You know, this has nothing to do with gardening, but you might be taking a bit of a break from gardening anyway. If you enjoy biographies, I would recommend one on Leonardo da Vinci, which is titled, remarkably, Leonardo da Vinci. It's by Walter Isaacson. I am reading it currently. And if you want to stick it in your ears and take a few long winter walks or clean out a few closets um, with that book coming through your earbuds and from Audible, I bet you would like it. That is my recommendation. And here is my plea for the week. I know, it's always something. Um, okay, so here it is. How about next time you particularly like one of my episodes that you share any promotional Instagram posts or stories that you see with your followers? And then I might get more followers. And then I might get more listeners. And then that would be great. I'm trying to grow a garden and I'm also trying to grow a podcast here. This was fun. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out to me at Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH or to my website, lhgardens.com. And you could click for my monthly newsletter if you would like it. I named the show Into the Garden with Leslie because I'm really into my garden. I want to get you into yours and I will see you next week. Bye.